What is up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muted No More, and I am ya boy. Yes, Dan Dudziak. Welcome. Ooh wee, what a week, or however long it's been since I've talked to you guys last. Man, oh man. First and foremost, I hope all of you had a fun and safe uh, 4th of July weekend. Um, as the great Stone Cold Steve Austin once said, your boy here, Dan, had one beer, two beers, three beers, shot of whiskey, a margarita, and a Bloody Mary times a trillion. Whew, man, do we have fun. But as I said before, I hope all of you are well and healthy and staying safe. I'm feeling good. I am glad to be back at it. Glad to be here with you guys. Oh, man, feeling good. Okay. Episode number 12 is here, and we're going to dive into the sports realm again. Uh, we're almost there, ladies and gentlemen. We are almost there. Uh, leagues uh, across all four major sports are coming to agreements, uh, slow but sure. Start dates are being set, slow but sure. They're taking the necessary safety and health precautions in order to get seasons underway. And man, I'm feeling it. I am ready and rearing to go for sports to be back. And we are right on. I can taste it. I can taste it on the tongue. Uh, as I've said before, sports have had a huge impact on my life. Huge. Um, I've looked up to athletes my entire life. I've played sports, uh, many of them, all different shapes, sizes, whatever, my entire life. Uh, in these last couple months, uh, without them, again, without live, again, action on TV, whatever the case might be, it, it's been a shock to my system, to to say the very least. So to pass the time, again, episode 12 is here. We're right on the cusp of, of seasons getting underway. And I, I personally, again, I'm feeling super good and I'm ready to argue. I, I, let's get ready to rumble, as, as they say. Um, many people say that hitting a baseball is the absolute toughest thing to do in sports. Hitting a baseball. Is it, though? Is hitting a baseball the hardest thing to do in sports? Uh, well, depends who you ask, I guess. Um, it, it is very hard. I will say that. Again, you have Araldis Chapman throwing a 103-mile-an-hour uh, fastball at you. Probably quite difficult. But me playing devil's advocate, as I always do, it's a prerequisite to, to play the game. Yeah, I grew up playing ball, right? My entire life, uh, I pitched for a little bit, but then I, I transitioned to a middle infielder. It, it was required of me to hit the ball, to, to hit a baseball. And then, so if I would have went on to play high school ball, if I would have went on to play college ball, if I would have went on to the major league level as a, we'll say a second baseman, middle infielder, anything but a pitcher, it's a prereq for me to hit the ball. So it's embedded in your DNA, I guess. Um, again, I, I'm not discrediting that it's extremely difficult with some of the nasty shit that today's uh, Major League Baseball pitchers throw, that it's it's extremely difficult to hit, to track, to you know map out the over the course of an at-bat, whatever the case might be. Um, so with that being said, today I, I made a list of 15, one, five, 15 difficult things to do in sports. Now, huge disclaimer here. These are in no particular order. 
because that that shit would be absolutely fucking impossible to do. I, I can assure you of that. So 15 difficult things to do in sports. Some of them are quite specific. Some of them are quite broad. Uh, either way, no specific order. Just rattling off 15. And that'll kind of put my argument to the test a little bit about maybe or maybe not hitting a baseball being the most or not the most difficult thing to do in sports. Here we go. Number one, again, as I expressed two seconds ago, hitting a baseball. Again, some of the shit these guys throw nowadays, trying to map out the course of an at-bat over today's, again, best uh, pitchers. It's difficult. I'm not discrediting that whatsoever. Now, another facet of baseball, as far as pitching is concerned, is throwing a no-hitter or throwing a perfect game. That's from a pitcher's standpoint, obviously. Uh, Takes some nasty shit. And then I will say it probably the other team maybe having an off day, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, I bust a lot of people's balls for being Red Sox fans. Uh, my mother-in-law included Jenny. Yes, you. Um, but you're going to be pleased for me to shout out Jason Veritek, the love of your life, apparently. Um, that dude caught four no hitters in his career. Four of them. So credit where credit is due. Guy is a genius, knows how to call a game. He's an absolute captain uh, behind the plate. So kudos to you, Jason Veritek. But again, no hitters, perfect games, um, huge you know, accomplishments and pitchers, careers, plus big milestones in the game. You don't see it very often, and when you do, it's, it's quite impressive as far as I'm concerned anyway. Uh, sticking with number one in baseball, still another facet being hitting for the cycle. And if you don't know what that is, it is when a batter in one game uh, of baseball hits a single, double, triple, and home run in one game. I could probably, yeah, I, there's, the list can't be too long without, unfortunately, me knowing off the top of my head. Um, but in my lifetime, I've probably only seen it. Fuck. Four, four or five times, maybe. Um, it, stupid hard, stupid difficult because it's out of your control. You know, you hit a gap or guess what? If you're feeling ballsy, you know, maybe turn a double into a triple, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to jeopardize, jeopardize a, a runner in scoring position for your team or, or risk getting thrown out at third or, or second if you're stretching a single into a double, what have you. Home runs are pretty cut and dry. You hit it over the fence or takes a stupid bounce in Fenway Park and you you make a round tripper inside the park. Either way, uh, hitting for the cycle, stupid, stupid difficult. So baseball, there's quite a few of them. Hitting a baseball, again, the pitching aspect of it, hitting for the cycle, et cetera. Uh, so there's that. Uh, number two on my list, again, no, not ranked. Keep that in the back of your head during this whole thing. Number two, hole-in-one. Hole-in-one in golf. Again, I can count on one hand how many times I've ever seen it uh, on the PGA tour, let alone anyone in my life without like really thinking about it, that, that has one. I'm not an avid golfer, but I go out every now and again, I, I hold my own a little bit. Um, not going to the tour anytime soon, but I, I, I do not personally have a hole in one. And if I were to get one, I probably would quit golfing that very day. Um, but like I said, no one close to me, as far as I know, has one. I mean, I'd be shocked if somebody came out after this and said, Oh, my dad or whoever. Um, 
but kudos to whomever does out there that does have a hole in one because that's quite quite a feat. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, number three, saving a penalty kick, specifically in soccer. Um, again, penalty kick. You know, you're at the the PK line, and honestly, it's a big fat fucking guessing game to to where the the player is going to put the ball. If you're a goalie, you're you're guessing it is a complete guessing game. And uh, from what I've seen anyway, more times than not, unless somebody hits the the crossbar or the goalpost or puts it over the net or puts it wide or, you know, guys are scoring 90% of the time. And it seems as though when a goalie makes a save in soccer on a PK, um, chances are it's probably just dumb sheer luck. He at the last second said left. I'm going left. He's going left. I'm going left. Shit. Got it. You know, dives, gets a hand on it, makes a save. Do you watch film? Maybe if like, you know, I don't know, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi, whoever has a a tendency, perhaps like 75% of the time he goes top left corner as opposed to bottom right corner. You know, do you take odds after watching film? Because again, watching film is a quite the aspect in professional sports you hear about it and see it all the time i don't know i i think no matter how much film you watch guys spice it up again depending on what the percentages are what have you i that's sheer luck and regardless uh, of luck or success rate or the lack thereof extremely difficult to do so that's number three number four on my list i have a boxing slash UFC fight. I think that one is quite self-explanatory. Um, boxing, you got 10, 12, 15, 16 rounds at three, four, five minutes apiece, just throwing bombs on one another with your fists. UFC, on the other hand, you have five, three minute rounds, you know, depending on weight class. And, you know, if you're in the UFC, or if you're in Bellator, everyone's got their own rules and regulations, but either way, not only are you throwing fists, you're throwing kicks, you're you're wrestling, you're grappling, you're trying to choke somebody out, et cetera, et cetera. That is unbearably difficult. I love watching it. I love these guys perfecting their trade in that, whether it's boxing or UFC. Um, it, it's, these guys do such cool shit, man, really, really and truly they do. Um, and the, the training that goes into it, the cardio and, and stamina that has to go into it, and then simply just the will to want to go in and just beat the living piss out of your opponent and, or choke them out and, or depending on who you're fighting or depending on how the route of the fight is going, you just try and survive. And hopefully it goes to a decision and that decision's in your favor. Either way, stamina, uh, you know, the repertoire you have with different variations of punches and kicks and chokes and wrestling and grappling and blah, blah, blah. These guys are freaks. They are freaks of nature. And then boxing, same thing, Floyd Mayweather, you could say what you want about him, about being a cocky son of a bitch. But man, when you're that good, you're that fast. You take one or two real good shots a, a fight. If that, his success rate speaks for itself. And I would walk around like a, a cocky knucklehead just like him if I had as much money as he did. I had as much success as he did. Um, kudos, kudos to anybody that does, again, boxing, UFC, anything like that. I applaud you. That's for sure. Uh, number five, rushing for 2,000 yards in a football season. 
as far as running backs are concerned, obviously. Um, again, probably 10 times if that it's been done in NFL history. Most recently, I think it's been Chris Johnson, Adrian Peterson, guys like that. And with the way the game is going with the size and speed and defensive schemes of, of defenses and players, I'd be pressed to think you see that for quite some time, you know, a running back rushing for 2000 or more yards in one season, you know, a season of 16 games, man, I'm not good at math, but your average 150 yards a game, no problem. I don't, I'd be pressed to think you see it ever again. Uh, again, kudos to anybody that's ever done it, especially lately. And then even we'll just say it happens this year, hypothetically, you know, kudos because the size, speed, strength, agility of these NFL defenders is asinine compared to what it used to be. Plus different schemes are coming out, ways to contain really, really good running back, backs, et cetera, et cetera. So rushing for 2000 yards in a football season, unbearably difficult. Okay. I'd be shocked if it happens in years to come. That's for sure. I'm not discrediting the abilities of some of the running backs in the game today. You got a couple, more than a couple studs in the league. But the game's changing too. You know, very rarely do you see any more ground and pound, you know, north-south running backs. A lot of guys are east and west and, you know, receiving. And, you know, Alvin Kamara is a prime example. Dude's hard-nosed. I'll give him that. You know, lowers his head, lowers his shoulder, boom. He turns a what should be a three yard gain into an eight yard like that. And then God forbid if you if you miss a tackle, then he's gonna turn it into twenty-five or even more or a touchdown. Uh, but then also you have to look at receiving, you know, him coming out of the backfield and catching passes, you know, things like that. Uh, but I think rushing for two thousand yards straight up and down the east, uh, uh, north and south, hard nosed bruiser football. I, I kind of think that's becoming a, a thing of the past. So that just kind of adds to my argument about it. Chances of it happening again or soon anyway, in years to come are, are slim to none. So there's that. Number six, uh, bowl a 300 game in bowling PBA. Uh, you see it a lot professionally. I won't lie, but from a, a me standpoint, I know a couple people that actually have them, not discrediting how fucking unbearably difficult it is because, again, you got different balls for different oil patterns. You got different oil patterns for different tournaments. You got different pins. You got what, whatever, you know, re-racking the pins. If one's a 16th of an inch off, like you're leaving a strong seven, you're leaving a strong 10, you're what have you. Unbearably difficult. Again, I, I have people that are close to me that have one or multiple 300 games. Um, a couple of people I work with, you know, a couple of buddies that I have on the street, you know, whatever. And you see it in the PBA a lot. But again, in my opinion, I think that is arguably one of the most difficult things to do when you get to a little bit more of a professional level or tournaments, again, for different balls, for different oil patterns, as I just expressed. Uh, so bowling a 300 game, stupid difficult, in my opinion. Number seven, skiing downhill slash slalom at 80 plus fucking miles an hour. So if you watch the Winter Olympics, you see downhill skiing and you see slalom, which is literally them starting at the top of the mountain, 
going downhill and weaving in and out of what usually more anytime I've ever seen it is the red and blue brackets or gates. I think they call it on the, on the slope and not, they're not going 10, 15 miles. They are going 90, 90 miles an hour plus. It's crazy. And in the Olympics, especially you're, you are literally going, going for gold. Literally. Yeah. You're making your country proud or not. And the, the danger that, that comes with that is astronomical in my mind. Like you lose an edge. You're, you're going into a gate. You're going into the fence. I've seen it, right? You, you watch the Olympics and somebody loses an edge or somebody bumps somebody or they hit the gate, you know, too much, you know, with their ski or whatever. They go tumbling head over heels. They go into the fence. They break their arms. They break their neck. What a, kudos again. That's, that's the phrase of the episode. Kudos to you. If, if you, if you do that, if you've done it, it, it is thoroughly impressive to watch the, the amount of control it takes again at how fast you're going is just astronomical. I, I absolutely love watching it. It's super, super intense to me. Uh, number eight next returning a 130 plus mile an hour tennis serve. So if you're uh, a tennis freak, I, I can't say that I am, but I do watch every now and again. Um, you got your guys, um, Rafa Nadal, uh, Roger Federer, Andy Roddick was a big one that their serves were just missiles, right? 130, 140, 148, 49, 150 miles an hour, whatever. Just absolute piss missiles, man. And, and for you to A, see that coming, and B, return it in the box. I don't know the exact rules. It's got to be over the line. It's got to be on the right-hand side, left-hand, whatever. F- for you to have an impeccable return it blows my mind and again you got the the really high tech specific rackets that they use and whatever the case might be but man that that shit blows my mind man and and that's just their serves you know you tee one up to to Rafa Nadal and he hits you know an overhand smash or whatever whatever the fucking terminology is but whatever at 110 miles an hour straight down like it's it's crazy to me. It's crazy to watch. And I hate the grunting in tennis. Disclaimer there. Hate it. Men, women, don't matter. Absolutely hate it. But the fact that these guys and gals can can serve the ball over 110 miles an hour is impressive in itself. But then you have the opponents. Pinpoint accuracy. Control, whatever you want to call it, in returning. Again, serves, overhands, backhands, whatever the case might be. Super impressive and I wouldn't even want to stand there in front of a Andy Roddick 148 mile an hour fucking serve in a tennis match, let alone, uh, you know, watching on the TV, just being in awe that that's what they're doing. Um, so yeah, returning again, we'll, we'll just leave the number at 140, 140 mile an hour tennis serve. Uh, crazy, crazy. Uh, number nine, NASCAR drivers, period. That's it. Racing, NASCAR racing or Indy 500 or whatever shit blows my mind. And I've, I'm thinking, or I'm thinking that you are thinking no way, right? You're, you're driving your car every day. You know, how can that possibly be one of the most difficult things to do in sports? Well, you're going an asinine, you know, mile per hour. I, I couldn't even tell you how fast those guys go. Couldn't even tell you. And it's, 
uh, a 300 lap race, like the Daytona 500. It's like 300 and some odd laps at, you know, X amount of miles an hour without cautions and stoppages and whatever, whatever we're talking. I'm talking brass facts when they're going, they're fucking going. And again, pinpoint accuracy in their driving skills. It just, it's crazy. You watch the, the Indy 500, you watch any of the, the drag car racing or, you know, whatever these dudes are driving through the streets of fucking Italy. Like it, it, it's crazy to me. And granted, I maybe I watch too many movies, but dude, that, that shit is fucking nuts. You know, I see some of the wrecks, you know, RIP Dale Jr. Like God, so how these guys, and I get it protection and helmets and the way their uh, cars are rigged up with, you know, brackets and safety beams and whatever you want to call it. Some of these wrecks, these guys in get in and then they flip their car 37 times and then they just get out and give a thumbs up and then they walk over to the ambulance and they go to the hospital for precaution or because they, I don't know, broke their finger or whatever. It's crazy to me. Crazy. You know, so again, racing of any kind, we'll just, we won't say NASCAR because again, drag car, indie, whatever you want to call it. Again, the presence of mind, the pinpoint accuracy, the speed, the the wherewithal just to be sitting in that vehicle and have the attentiveness and have the mindset to, okay, I'm getting in this car. I'm strapping up for 300 plus laps or uh, again for drag racing in Indy and whatever you're, you're driving literally through streets in downtown Italy with spectators and everything else. And I've seen crashes and it sucks and it's unfortunate, but you know, more times than not, they they're the races are successful. And these dudes just, they're flying. And it's, it blows my mind every time I see it. Uh, so that was number nine. Just NASCAR, Indy 500 racing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, next up, number 10, I have the Tour de France. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I would not be able to bike that long. <laughs> I enjoy going I enjoy going bike riding. Uh, I Casually, of course. I've never been in a bike race. I don't ever want to be in a uh, bike race. But the hills, again, the pinpoint accuracy, the speed, the stamina for fucking sure, uh, it's crazy. And I remember being a kid being in awe that Lance Armstrong was so, it was like, I thought he was a robot, just his success rate and the fact that he overcame cancer. And, you know, it sucks that shit came out about him with him, you know, using PEDs and cheating and, you know, kind of being a little bit of a shit bag, but either way, man, these, these guys are just, it's impressive. The, the stamina, the, again, the accuracy with how fast they go, you know, bike riding for days and weeks and whatever. I thoroughly impressive. Nonetheless, I like watching it. I like, you know, seeing the, any sort of strategy that comes into play, I I take that to the the NASCAR one as well. The strategy with sitting back and then, you know, turning it on at the end or turning it on in the middle or coming right out of the gate flying and then taking a break and falling to the back of the pack. And it just, there's so much to it. And it it's really impressive to me. Um, so that was number 10, Tour de France. Number 11, completing a pass in a millisecond while being rushed by three 350 plus pound uh, linemen in the NFL. So picture that, okay? For 
me being a Bills fan, you got Josh Allen at the helm. Go Bills. Um, Josh Allen is in the shotgun, hypothetically, takes a snap, and he's playing, yeah, I don't know, New England. Okay, whatever. And their their play call was engage eight. And for you don't know what that is, it's eight in a box, blitz, ring the house, and, and try and get a sack, try and force a fumble, try and, you know, whatever. Allen drops back. He's got four, three or four, you know, whether it's defensive ends, linebackers, you got a, a strong safety that's, you know, ringing the bells at, you know, six foot four, 248 pounds of just brick shit house, you know, whatever. And all my resident Bills fans are going to say, oh, Josh Allen can't complete a pass over 30 yards, uh, whatever. Now, again, not, not the point of this hypothetical scenario. He, you know, sees Cole Beasley on an inside route. He literally, by the time he looks up and Cole Beasley finishes his route, he's got a millisecond, literally a millisecond to say, well, there's a little Cole going, there he goes. And then boom, got to throw it. Because rest assured, you got, again, four, you know, defensive players in whatever capacity coming at you. You know, you get hit, you're fucked. You know, not to mention these dudes are 350 plus pounds just monsters of men, six foot seven, six foot eight, and they can jump. So Alan, I, he's a tall guy, but like, you know, you got a, a millisecond to make a, a pinpoint pass over the middle, you know, deep, whatever the case might be with these, these guys in your face. Really, really impressive to me. You know, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, uh, Peyton Man, whatever quarterbacks period that were notorious for just pinpoint fucking accuracy kudos again i i love it i love to watch it I, i'm the type of person to dissect sports not just watch them but like look at the little factoids like this one in particular right so again completing a pass in a millisecond while being rushed by defensive players period we'll just leave it at that super super fucking difficult i'm sure i know i wouldn't be able to do it more importantly i would not want to be hit by any of them so there's that as well uh number 12 being a goalie in the NHL, period. That's it. That's where I leave it. Top three goalies of all time. This is a little side list for my main list right here. My top three goalies of all time in the NHL are Marty Brodeur, Patrick Waugh, Dominic Hasek, period. You will never, ever tell me otherwise. That is my top three. That will always be the top three. No one in the league right now compares to anything that those three men did while playing goalie in the NHL. Dominic Hasek looked like a fucking fish out of water 99% of the time he was playing. Brodeur, disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Patrick Waugh, fucking disgusting as well. They use oversized chopsticks as uh, their stick, literally. Um, an oven mitt, for fuck's sake. And the, the blocker, which serves no purpose to me, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, you get something up towards that part. Yeah, of course, you just stick your hand out. It's going to go off the blocker. But otherwise, you got somebody taking a full-blown slab shot at the point. You're getting your blocker up. I mean, they do it, but like, I feel like there's better equipment that could be used. Either way. So oversized chopstick, oven mitt, blocker, and themselves. That's what they have. And their helmet. Because again, some sometimes guys take uh, shots off the head. But that's what they have equipment-wise. All the while, wearing monstrous pads okay while being on skates 
and while being on ice. It just, it blows my ever fucking loving mind. I I can't get over it. But I digress nonetheless. So being a goalie in the NHL, using the equipment that they use, uh, all the while being on skates, all the while being on ice, all the while. (laughs) So many factors to this. Uh, Guys taking a shot from the point, um, you know, 10% of the time it's, you know, the goalie can see the the puck from the time it leaves the stick to the time he makes the save. There's so much traffic in front of the net, whether it's offensive players, defensive players, that it can be redirected at any point. And guess what? As a goalie, that is 110% your fucking job to make that save, no matter who's standing in front of you, whether it's one person, two people, nobody. You, <clears throat> your job is you make that stop, you know, 10 times out of 10. Yeah, that's what you would hope for anyway. Um, so with that being said, then you have, uh, overtime game ends in a tie. You go to your overtime period, three on three, keep that shit around forever. NHL, by the way, shit, pure gold, uh, three on three. They can get ugly real fast for a goalie. Odd man breaks. You catch somebody on a line change. You catch somebody that falls, you know, you got speed and positional players, what have you and get it real ugly. So you'll, you get a lot of different angles. You get a lot of different, you know, passing plays, shots, what have you. As a goalie, again, you got to make stops to keep your your team in the game. So overtime ends in a tie. Guess what? You're going to a shootout. That's 1v1. Who's got who's got the bigger dong kind of thing? You know, you got goalies that face the likes of Jack Eichel and McDavid and everybody else. You know, good luck. Good luck trying to make a stop to, to again, keep your, your team in the game. You know, again, kudos. <laughs> As I've, I've said a million times before, that, that shit, being a goalie, for all of the many factors that I just expressed, if not probably more, very difficult nonetheless. So that was number 12. Number 13 is digging a spike attempt, uh, specifically in volleyball. So I used to play barley bullshit volleyball. Um, nothing crazy. I used to play with a bunch of really good athletes, you know, tall guys that hit balls from different angles, what have you. But Man, you watch high school, you watch collegiate, you watch professional volleyball, man. You know, I got buddies that played in college. Hashtag go Duville men's volleyball. Hashtag Jimmy Zeiger, killer, Brock, Colin. Go get them, boys. Um, we, I used to go watch with me and my buddies that didn't play, and it, it blew my fucking mind, man. You know, my buddy Jimmy that actually made an appearance on, you know, my podcast not too long ago. He was a libero, straight defensive player. You know, sick hands, you know, positioning on point, right? Just such a defensive player knew where to be at all times. And it was impressive. It was very, very impressive to me. You know, again, you got, especially at a collegiate or professional level, you got guys that are six, 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 seven with tremendous fucking hops that are hitting the ball straight down. And guess what? You know, if you're going to dig a spike, you got to be there. You got to take it. You got to be there. So that one's pretty cut and dry, but again, unbearably difficult as you get again, at a, a higher competition level, maybe not so much in the, the bar scene as, as I was in, but again, high school, college professional shit's fucking difficult. I, I know that just from the, the couple bad experiences I had from playing bar league, let alone my buddies that played at a collegiate level. So again, big props to you guys. Uh, next up is number 14, running a marathon in under two hours. It, shit is crazy. I got friends that or people that I know that are half and, and full marathon runners. I don't know. I'd have to, 
I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to ask them uh, if any of them have ran even close to two hours or, or, you know, under, I doubt, but you never know. I'm going to, I'll do some digging. I'll let you guys know at a later date, but you know, you watch, you know, the Olympics again, as an example, you know, you see these men and women, you know, or even like the, the New York city and the Boston marathons or any of the big races across the world. Um, these guys and girls running full marathons, 26.2 miles, I think in under two hours, shit's crazy, crazy to me. You know, again, in the Olympics, you're, you're going for gold. Literally your strength has to be on point. Your stamina has to be on point. Your wherewithal to know when to turn it on, when to conserve energy, when to make your move, so to speak. Again, it's so much goes into it and it's unbelievably impressive to me. So running a marathon in under two hours, big props. I know with the proper amount of training and what have you, I 100% would not be able to do it even with the the best of the best. So again, big props there. And last, number 15, pole vaulting. Yes, you heard me correct, going a little rogue here. Pole vaulting. Now, hear me out, okay? Because people are going to say pole vaulting isn't a sport and cheerleading isn't it. Fuck you. Pole vaulting 100% is a sport. And it is unbelievably difficult just solely of what I see with my four eyes, a.k.a. I have glasses. <laughs> um, so broken down, you are using a 15 plus foot pole. OK, you start at the line, you do your little rock back and forth, and then you run full speed down a runway with this 15 plus foot pole in your hands. And then you proceed to stick said pole in nothing more than an oversized fucking gopher hole because it's <laughs> that's exactly what it is an oversized gopher hole and then you see on tv anyway the the flexibility of the pole that you use it looks like it's going to fucking snap and that person is going to go flying you know wherever it takes them so 15 foot pole you shove that bitch right in a an oversized gopher hole and then you hoist yourself and just launch up over a, usually at a, again, Olympic professional level, 20, 24 plus foot pole horizontal. And guess what? You need to clear that without touching it or else you're disqualified or the, the run doesn't count or whatever the terminology is. It again, blows my mind, pinpoint fucking accuracy. It's crazy, crazy to watch. I, I absolutely love it. Um, the, the competition itself, you know, you, are flawless in your execution, if you will, and you clear a 20 foot, two inch pole or bar or whatever. And you're like, all right, fuck yeah. Yeah. And you celebrate and whatever. And then the person comes up after you and they clear 20 foot, six inches and they make you feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> and that's it. It's again, to, to watch it, to break it down, the, the systematic execution of it, it blows my fucking mind. So pole vaulting, you can disagree I can hear the moans and groans now, but guess what? Watch that shit on TV, you know, Olympic track and field races, whatever. And tell me you're not impressed with that shit because then I'm going to call you a liar for sure. Um, so there you have it. 15 of the most difficult things to do in any sports. Again, I went a little rogue with maybe the, the Tour de France or pole vaulting or marathon running or whatever. But guess what? All sports, all things that require tons and tons of training and tons and tons of uh, preparation and execution and whatever else you want to say. 
the list itself, my 15, it, it could go on and on. You know, again, I could sit here for the next half hour and, and think of 15 more. Um, if you think of more yourselves, shoot me a message. I say it all the time. Shoot me a message. I want to hear from you guys. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, text me, call me, send a nude or a death threat in there, whatever the case might be. Uh, shoot me a message and, and tell me what you want to add to the list. You know, I didn't think of everything there is to know. I may have left a pivotal one out and didn't even think about it, or maybe a facet of one of the other ones that I forgot to, to throw in there, whatever the case is. Shoot me a message. Keep me informed. I love to hear your suggestions and, and, and input on whatever the stupid shit I come up with. Um, also, this is more important than the last one. If, if some way, somehow, you can rank this list, make your own, use mine, do whatever it is, add some, drop some, whatever. If you can rank a list, so we'll say you make 15, one being the most difficult, 15 being the least difficult. First, kudos, props, congratulations. You're a god. You you did it, right? Because again, I sat down and I tried to rank the 15 that I just expressed to you guys and I couldn't fucking do it. So I just wrote 15 down and then just rattled them off. But if you want to try and you want to throw it to me, that's another conversation starter and an argument kind of based point, if you will. I would, I would kill. I would love to see that shit. So, so definitely shoot that over to me as well. I am very intrigued to hear what some of you come up with. Um, the, the point of all of this, again, reverting back to way at the beginning here, hitting a baseball isn't easy. I've said, again, you're up against 104 mile an hour fastball, and then he drops a 87 mile an hour slider. If you're a Raldis Chapman, whatever the case is, it's not easy. I've never discredited that whatsoever yet. I still wouldn't consider it the hardest thing to do in sports because again, I just rattled off 15 things that if you broke down systematically kind of are just as difficult. Parts of them are more difficult. Parts of them are less, whatever the case is. It, there's different facets to each sport in each, you know, again, facet of the ones that I explained. Um, the, as far as hitting a baseball is concerned, all these, you know, sports channels and sports reporters and whatever, they come out with fancy stat crazy videos that just make your mind spin and they make you think that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. I, I don't ever see anything about the, the ergonomics of pole vaulting, right? I, I always see, you know, you're up to bat against Araldis Chapman and, you have 0.26 milliseconds to hit the ball or even think, no, fuck that. Talk about the 15 plus foot pole that you have to stick in a fucking gopher hole for pole vaulting. And then how in God's name you launch yourself over a 20 foot horizontal bar without that fucking pole that you carry snapping. I, I, that's a video I want to see. Not whether or not you can hit uh, a slider after Raldo Chapman just threw you 200 plus mile an hour fastballs, right? I want to see those kind of videos. Uh, I have no shame in saying any of this. I have no shame in saying that I don't necessarily know that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do or it is or it isn't or whatever. And trying to win this argument, quote unquote, because I don't think there's a winner. I don't, I don't think you, this is one of these conversations you have where you say pole vaulting and then somebody else says completing a pass in a millisecond against NFL defenders. Like it's just kind of back and forth. You bring up again, facets of each and 
you converse about it. I, I like it, but I have no shame in saying any of it because this is my opinion and I stand behind it. The, the hardest thing to do in sports is staying healthy. How many times do you see uh, cornerbacks in the NFL uh, tweak an ankle and they're out for two weeks? They rush back because they got a big game, you know, against a divisional foe or whatever the case might be. And fucking a corner from New Orleans gets burnt by Julio Jones and he tweaks his ankle again and he's out for six more weeks. You know, staying healthy is arguably the hardest thing to do in sports. Uh, a happy, healthy, uh, purposeful athlete can have such a positive impact on the world. You know, again, you see compilation videos all the time of, you know, athletes doing Make-A-Wish and athletes doing meet and greets with kids at their practices and, and signing autographs and visiting kids at the hospital, you know, what, whatever the case might be. Yeah. That shit is so heartwarming to me. It's not even funny. You know, Cam Newton's a big one. You know, when he scores a touchdown, he always finds a kid. He always finds somebody in the crowd and gives him the touchdown ball and one of his, you know, rubber bands that he wears on his wrist. And man, if I was that kid, it would make my life. So that shit has such a positive impact on the world. And again, heartwarming to say the very least every time I see it. Um, so again, I, I can't, I can't wait to hear from you all regarding this. Um, I love hearing your input. I love opening my mind and a grant, you know, this isn't some life altering conversation by any sense of the word, but it's cool. It's cool shit to talk about. It kind of removes you from the stresses of everyday life, so to speak. Plus get you in the mood for when sports does come back. Because again, man, I am fucking itching. Like I got a rash, you know what I mean? Um, in the meantime, as always, please stay safe, please stay healthy and always stay well. You know, again, be patient. We're, we're almost there. They're releasing schedules. They're out there, you know, baseball's in spring training as we speak, you know, end of the month, you got hockey coming back, basketball coming back, football, hopefully they start on time with no, you know, repercussions or what have you. Almost there, boys and girls. Jeez, we'll get there. Slow but sure. Again, can't wait to hear from you guys. Can't wait to do this again, hopefully real, real soon. Until next time, as always, peace. Peace.